This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Before I, before I start this morning, I, I just want to, uh, I want to thank all of you for inviting me to come back here and preach for this special occasion. I, I really love all of you. The, during the 20 years that I taught at Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, my guess is that my classes got tired of me talking about wonderful Apostles Lutheran Church. <laughs> Our text, uh, it's Genesis chapter 32, verse 10. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two groups. These words are a part of an interesting then and now story from the Old Testament. They were spoken, as you notice in your service folder, spoken by one of the Old Testament patriarchs, Jacob, of the oft-mentioned uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in this then and now story, Jacob talks about what he left with, and then with what he, 20 years later, came back home with. Maybe you know the story, but I'll just, I'll just review a few of the details. Jacob was the son of Isaac and Rebekah. He had a twin brother. Uh, his name was Esau. Esau, technically speaking, was the firstborn, born just a little bit before Jacob. Uh, uh, Jacob emerged uh, holding on to his brother Esau's heel. In fact, the word Jacob means heel grabber. But, but Esau, because he was the firstborn, Esau was entitled to the blessings of the firstborn, which included, among other things, uh, he would assume the position of leadership in the family after his father died, and he'd get a double share of, of the inheritance. And, and most important in this particular case, it would be through the descendant of the firstborn that the promised savior of the world would be born. Esau was the firstborn, but God had other plans. God's intention was that Jacob should get the blessings of the firstborn. Jacob knew about this. And as he grew up, he decided that he would uh, help God along a little bit to make sure that that promise came true. So one day when his brother Esau came in from the fields, a day out in the field all famished, uh, he persuaded uh, Esau to trade in his birthright uh, for a bowl of stew. And then uh, some years later, Isaac, the father, was old, almost totally blind. He lay dying, and Jacob tricked his nearly blind father, Isaac, into thinking that he was Esau. And so Isaac gave the blessing of the firstborn to Jacob instead of to Esau. Remember that story? And, and uh, 
Esau, when he heard about this, he was enraged. He said, he, that is Jacob, he's deceived me these two times. He took my birthright, and now he's taking my blessing. And uh, Esau was bent on killing his brother. Jacob fled for his life. He fled for his life, taking, uh, really taking nothing at all. He says, I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan. And then a, a, another translator puts it this way, when I left home and crossed the Jordan River, I owned nothing except a walking stick. It's all he had, a walking stick, leaving, leaving home. That was then. But now, now he's coming back home, 20 years later. He's not all by himself anymore. He's a family man. He has some wives. He's got, he has uh, 12 sons, uh, and 12 sons and a daughter. And uh, Jacob has become a fabulously wealthy man. We're told he grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and maidservants and men servants and camels and donkeys. He, he was so wealthy that upon his return, he sent some people ahead to give to his brother Esau just a little, uh, a little peace offering. And the peace offering consisted of 220 goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 camels, 40 cows, 10 bulls, and 30 donkeys. For Jacob, that was just pocket change. So he comes back and gives that, gives that gift to his brother Esau. What a tremendous contrast in those 20 years between then and now. I couldn't help but uh, think about uh, on this occasion, October 11, 2015, couldn't help but think about another then and now situation. 50 years ago, 50 years ago, February 2015, uh, Janice and I, along with our two-year-old Beth and two-month-old Becky, left uh, wintry, cold of Livingston, Montana, drove the 1,000 miles uh, to San Jose. I'd accepted a call to start a new mission here. It was a far different San Jose back then. I got, got here and discovered that there were two freeways. That's all, though. Uh, 101 on the east side and 17, then went over the hills into, into Santa Cruz. If you wanted to go anywhere east and west, you had to go, I had to go on surface streets. But we were, we were welcomed. We were welcomed very warmly by the, by the Hopemuth family uh, who were living in, uh, up in Santa Clara at that time. Um, they were, all, they were all there at that time. Lori Hopemuth was uh, still a baby in the crib. We, we uh, took a motel, uh, stayed there a few days until our apartment was ready, and then we decided we'd go check out the site uh, that the uh, Synod, through its mission board, had uh, purchased for this mission down in South San Jose. We turned off of uh, Blossom Hill Road, turned on to Blossom Avenue, and when we got just a, a little bit south of Calero, Blossom Avenue petered out. And some of you might remember that. 
It was just a little two-lane country road. And there were no homes down there. One home, way at the uh, base of the hills, one farmhouse. That was it. Otherwise, as far as you could look to the east and the west and, uh, and the south, there are absolutely no homes. And there, and there, were, no, and there were no roads. Uh, the only road was uh, Blossom Avenue. No, no Santa Teresa, no Santa Teresa Boulevard. We came to the site uh, where this new mission was going to be established, and it was four and a half acres of, uh, uh, of uh, raw land, a grain, a grain field. First thing we did was uh, uh, built a parsonage. It's a home where the Borks uh, still, still live. And, uh, I, I, I re and we had services in there for uh, until the, our first church building was built, and that was the, your current fellowship hall. And I still remember uh, one family from Wisconsin came and visited us when we were having church in the parsonage. And as he walked out of church that day, he said, if that's the way my mission money is being spent, to start churches in fields, that's the last money I'm going to give. Uh, <laughs> I told him, come back in a few years. And uh, things, things, things really changed, didn't it? But that, that's, that's the way it was. And we had our, uh, while the parsonage was being built, we conducted services in a cold, drafty, upstairs storage room of the Silver Dollar Saloon in the now defunct uh, Frontier Village Amusement Park over on Monterey Highway. And I think of our current members, Howard and June Bell are about the only ones uh, who uh, actually were present when we were holding services there in, in Frontier, uh, Frontier Village. And we had, uh, if I remember correctly, three families plus our family. And that was it. That was then. 50 years later, now. San Jose is crisscrossed with freeways. We don't even know where we are when we come here and try to drive around in, in, in San Jose. And uh, the South San Jose area where the mission is going to be uh, built, uh, down Blossom Avenue in this, this grain field. I don't have to tell you what has happened. Uh, this beautiful campus, this beautiful campus, uh, three families mushroomed into a congregation of 950 baptized members, about 750 communicant members, getting close to 400 people attending church on a Sunday, 175 children in the school, and now Apostles Lutheran High School, uh, two full-time pastors, 13 full-time teachers, five part-time teachers, and, and other staff. That's, that's now. Tremendous, tremendous contrast in 50 years between then and now. Now, I realize that there's a, there's a lot of difference between that situation back in the Old Testament and the one I just talked about here, uh, Jacob's leaving home and then 20 years later coming back home and our arriving in San Jose and then 50 years later coming back to San Jose. But, but there are some parallels here. Listen to what Jacob says. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness, Lord, you have shown 
your servant. So Jacob says, I am unworthy. God, you are kind. You are faithful. And therefore, to you be the glory. Isn't that what we say today too? Certainly, certainly Jacob, Jacob would have been very quick to say about himself, I am unworthy. Sure, Esau shared in the blame of uh, cavalierly trading in his birthright, but it was Jacob who had persuaded him to do that. And uh, while it was Rebekah, uh, Jacob's mother, who had come up with this plan to trick uh, old Isaac, uh, Jacob very uh, gladly went along with that scam. Jacob, uh, Jacob was unworthy. Worthy, really, of nothing but God's punishment. And can we say any, anything less about ourselves? Our now, our October 11, 2015, is not a time for boasting. It is a time for thanking. And even before that, it is a time for confessing. Some of you remember the old Lutheran hymnal, the blue Lutheran hymnal. Uh, the confession of sins for the communion service. It's a very personal confession. O almighty God, merciful Father, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities, with which I have ever offended you and justly deserve your temporal and eternal punishment. And certainly among the eyes in that confession would be all of those who've had anything to do with the ministry of Apostles Lutheran Church in the past and all of those who have anything to do with the ministry of Apostles Lutheran Church and, and school today. We are unworthy. The word that's translated as unworthy literally means to be small, little. In comparison to what? Actually, to whom? In comparison to God. About six weeks ago, Janice and I uh, drove back from Colorado. I had been serving a vacancy in Colorado for a number of months. And on our way back, we took a little bit of time and we visited some of our national parks, the Black Canyon of the Gunnison in Colorado, and then uh, in, uh, in Utah, Arches and Zion and Bryce Canyon. And we, we were just amazed as we, looked, as we looked first at the deep canyons of two of those parks, and then at the majestic red cliffs of the other two parks. Uh, and we couldn't help but feel really small and insignificant in comparison with these majestic wonders of God's creation. But that's nothing at all in comparison with what we are to God himself. God is the creator of the universe. You and I, we can't even create a grain of sand. 
God is all-powerful. We're so very, very weak. God knows everything. We know hardly anything. God is holy. And we aren't. God is just. And we should be on the receiving end of his justice. For as the Bible says, the wages of sin, of, of this poor miserable sinner, and of you poor miserable sinners, the wages of sin is death. We're, we're unworthy. But not only is God big in power. And God is not only big in knowledge. And God is not only big in holiness. And God is not only big in justice. He is also big in kindness and faithfulness. A kindness and faithfulness that he directed Jacob's way. Jacob, Jacob says, I'm unworthy of the kindness and faithfulness you, you Lord, have shown to your servant. The Hebrew word translated as kindness here is pronounced chesed. And chesed is found about 250 times in the Old Testament. It's somewhat equivalent to our New Testament word for grace. Chesed is God's loving kindness, his steadfast love, his never-ending love, his one-way covenant love. Because of God's Kesedi's kindness, God didn't say to Jacob, okay, I'll love you if you start shaping up if you love me first. He simply loved Jacob. And he loved us. And in his love, he promised already, isn't that amazing, already at the very beginning of the time, he said, I'm going to send into the world, someone's going to crush the serpent's head. That serpent crusher would come into the world to be our redeemer, our savior. And because God is not only kind, but God is faithful, God kept that promise. He sent into the world the promised Savior right from the line of Jacob, whom God had chosen to be the firstborn, right from the line of, of, of Jacob. And he came to live in Jacob's place the life that he should have lived, but he hadn't lived. And to die in Jacob's place the death that Jacob deserved to die. And because of that, Jacob had the forgiveness of sins. And along with that came all of these other unmerited, undeserved blessings. And our God today is just as kind as he was at the time of Jacob. This is in the prophet Jeremiah. God says to us, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you, my cousin, my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed. 
unworthy though we are, because of God's unfailing love, we have the forgiveness of our sins. And all because God is kind. And God is also still faithful. A God who still keeps his promises. Let me tell you just one promise. Isaiah 55. God says, my word that goes out from my mouth will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Over the past 50 years, every year from then to now, apostles have seen this promise of God, a faithful God, fulfilled in marvelous measure. Apostles has been extraordinarily blessed by God. One of the members from uh, beautiful Savior Lutheran Church down in Carlsbad, where I'm serving right now as a vacancy pastor, uh, knowing that I was coming up for this service and knowing something about uh, knowing something about the history of apostles, uh, asked me, uh, "What's their secret?" And I knew I could not give him the kind of answer that he was looking for. Because the wind of the Spirit, the wind of the Spirit moves just when and where God wills. I couldn't tell him why God has so marvelously blessed this congregation in the way that he has. That's, that's, God's, that's God's doing. But this much I can say on this day. Apostles Lutheran Church is not a modern day Tower of Babel. The creation of human hands as a, an illustration of what man can do. Apostles Lutheran Church is a building from God, built by God the Holy Spirit through the gospel in God's word and sacraments. And that gives, can give you great confidence for the future also. Because, you know, you don't have to reinvent yourself. All you do is just keep on using what God has given to you. The tools of powerful gospel of Jesus Christ in word and sacrament. Because you see, it's really uh, not all about us. It's really not about us at all. Apostles then to now is about a God of kindness and a God of faithfulness. We, we are unworthy. God is kind. God is faithful. Therefore, to God and to God alone be the glory. Great things he has done. Amen.